Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, you doing super glad to try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. Always makes the show very interesting to have callers call in. It, it does. As it? opposed to you and I sitting here, Jack, and I draw about some <laughs> off-topic-wall topic. topic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But... As a warning, just in case you do not call, we will. We will. <laughs> Sit here and amble on that, that, that we will. <laughs> yeah, give us a call. Always appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us and hearing from people all around the country, all around town. Sure, and now is the perfect time to call. Well, beginning of the show always is. Number one, we're fresh and ready to go. And number two, we have the time to spend with you and kind of get you more, more than one question. Sure. You can kind of... Go ahead and put all that to us, and we'll glad to try to help you out. And should you happen not to either want to be on the radio or you think of something after we go off the air this morning, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button, the little form is going to pop up, and you fill it out with all the information and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And we got an awful lot of people who do that. I mean, uh-huh. they avail themselves of that service. I get several email every day. And like I said, depending on where I am, if I'm at work and I got a computer screen right in front of me, I generally check that several times a day. Sure. Uh, if I'm not at work, well, then I generally try to check it in the morning sometime and in the afternoon sometime. So it's generally going to be just a few hours before you can get a reply from me. But within 24. Now, always within 24 hours, but sometimes a whole lot faster than that. There you go. So there you go. Yeah, see, we got a phone call there. We got John online. Good morning, John. Yes, sir. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. All right, I've I've got a 2013 Ford F-150 with the five liter V8. Okay. And I've got ninety seven thousand miles on it. And just recently, there's a loud fan that's coming on on hot days. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Man, it, it's just roaring. I can tell you, and John. It'll come on and off. Yeah, I can tell you right now without going any further on that because that's very common on that truck. Most of the time, what it is, you've got a coolant leak. Even though your little reservoir looks like it's full, the radiator is going to be low. And what happens, the engine is starting to overheat, even though it doesn't show it on your gauge, and it's going to throw that fan on high trying to cool itself down. The most common place they leak is where that big radiator hose goes in from the top. There's a little plastic fitting down in there, and it's got several pieces to it. Almost every time that is leaking, and if the leak is so slow that as the coolant comes out, the engine it heats it up and it evaporates off. So you so don't see it dripping right. on the ground. Sometimes the temperature gauge won't reflect it because it's in the top of the intake, and as the coolant drops below that, the coolant's not touching the gauge anymore. And so it may not even show an overheat. But it is overheating. The head temperature's going high. The computer's picking it up, and it's running that fan up wide open. And I mean, it just races. I'm not going to say that's the only thing that can cause it, but that is so common on that truck. That would be the first thing I would start looking for. You pretty handy. You do work yourself, or you need to have somebody check it. No, I was going to ask you, what are your hours? <laughs> <laughs> we do that repair quite frequently. Yeah. We actually keep a lot of the parts in stock that we would need. But, yeah, that's pretty much an in-and-out-in-one-day type of deal. Great. I'll call you Monday morning. Sounds great, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, 291-6901. That was the easy one. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Ford has had a lot of trouble with coolant leak. The 5-liter, like you were explaining mm-hmm. there, the little 3.5 EcoBoost with the twin turbos, right. the turbo line, cooler line that goes to the turbo leaks. Mm-hmm. 
and that is a pretty involved job. I mean, the fact that you have to take the body off of the chassis yeah. just to access the turbos. Right. Uh, it, it puts it up there in about the 9, 10, 11 hour job. Gets uh, pretty bad. Labor hour job. Yeah. And to me, using plastic components, I mean, plastic has a lot of applications. It does. It's good in a lot of applications, but plastic in a cooling system just it's doesn't not, seem to no. work out. They've tried that for years and years and years. Well, they've used it for years and years. Practically every vehicle that I know of. And I guess from their perspective, it generally doesn't start giving trouble to around 100,000 miles, and they're not worried about it at 100,000 miles. Exactly. Ford had that with those four sixes with that intake. Sure. That plastic intake. That would split the seam. Split wide open. Yep. GM had it with some plastic fittings that they could have used a piece of brass. They used to screw into the intake, and then mm-hmm. all break off. I mean, I guess money's money. They're trying to save every nickel they can. Well, it's probably a lot cheaper to press those plastic parts than it is. It is. Well, they can press it with all the machine work and all already on it. They don't have to cast a piece of aluminum and machine it and all that. So it's it's a lot less expensive. I asked a guy one time, I said, you know, you guys save 10 cents on this part that gives all this trouble. Why don't you just charge 10 cents more for the car and and be done with it? He he looks right now and says, listen, we can charge 10 cents more for the car. We charge it and then still use the plastic (laughs) part. (laughs) He says, they got psychologists and economists who study the market, they say, okay, we've got a car with this many features. Uh-huh. It's going to apply to this group of people. They've got this much disposable income. This is the maximum amount we can sell this car for. Sure. And they are, they know that. I mean, you know, it's hard for the average customer to realize how sophisticated these guys are when it comes to marketing and all. They're just in a whole other league. And they've already figured out the most they can get for this car. Mm-hmm. And so if they can cut something and they're going to still sell the price, price. Yeah, they're going to get the maximum price, period. And then they work from there. You know, right. you have to discount it to sell it or whatever. You know, if they have it there for six months, it starts getting old, they'll discount it down from there. But, yeah, it's funny. It's not based on the cost of the product. No. It's no, not based at all. on what they think. That they didn't get for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone. I've got Randy online. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2013 Grand Caravan uh-huh. with the big six. Okay. Y'all did the transmission, I don't know, a few thousand miles back. But I was wondering, is there anything else I need to do? It's got 67 plus 68,000 miles. Yeah, a whole bevy of things, Randy. Depending on what's been done to the vehicle, what I would suggest is to bring it in and have a general inspection. That's where we check everything on the car and then compare it to the maintenance schedule and tell you where that particular car stands in relation to where it should be. There's not any okay. set group of services. Like a lot of dealerships will sell you like a 10,000-mile, 30,000-mile service, but all they do is give you X number of things at a certain mileage. Some cars will not need all those things. Some cars will need other things that these don't need. So the only way I know to do it properly is do a general inspection. That'll tell you exactly where you stand. And we may come out with a list of more than what you want to do right now, but I can prioritize it. Well, look, Randy, this, if you don't do this like right now, you're going to have trouble. This and this and this is going to be over the next year or so, and then this and this and this is coming up over the next three years. So you can prioritize it, start to get the car in better shape, the advantage there, Randy, is that instead of waiting for something to break and then intending to it, you're trying to prevent problems. You know, you're in a oh, proactive absolutely. state. So it's, it's always cheaper to go in proactively, maintain something, and it's so hard to try to keep up with all the different schedules because everybody's got different recommendations, different mileage and all, but just bring the car in once a year for a general inspection. You're never going to be behind on anything, and it's, it's a relatively okay. inexpensive service. That's what I would recommend. Okay. What about the time and change? No, that, that's that, as long as you use the right oil in the car and the right oil, and the right oil filter, you'll probably never have yeah. to fool with that time and chain. No, I've been using Pennzoil 
Yeah. Ever since I got it. Any good all as long as it's the right all for the car. You know, if it calls for zero W twenty, and that's what it means, zero W twenty. That doesn't mean five W thirty or something else. Right. The right all in the car that meets the specifications and a, and a good all filter, and you probably never have trouble with time and change. All the problems we see with time and change, somebody's put the wrong all in it, or to use a cheap all filter. I, I have it changed every three to four thousand miles. Yeah, you'll yeah. likely never have trouble with that. Now there is a serpentine belt on the outside that is going to have a life on it, and it's getting pretty close because you figure 13, you're going on seven years old. That belt's probably getting pretty close to due. Coolant, if it hasn't been replaced, is past due. Some different stuff like that. I just have to see the vehicle. There's a cabin filter. There's an okay. air filter. But, yeah, that is by far the best way. You know, I'd take a look okay. at the brakes on it. And, take you know, it depends on how you drive the I car. Yeah, depending on how you drive the car, they may be close. They may not. But that's the only way to really know. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, uh I'm in a wheelchair, so I have to schedule it one day where... Yeah, sch- schedule early in the morning, day. that way you can wait on it. Okay. All righty. All right. Okay, Randy. Thanks for calling, man. All right, 291-6901 is the number. We're going to take a quick little break, but, hey, we'll be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to move west... Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wynn. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open. And right now is still the perfect time to call. Oh, absolutely. Good time. <laughs> Just give us a call. And... You know, we were talking before the show, and I had an email this morning about a gentleman, and he said he was under his Espinade. He noticed that he never hears the compressor running for rear air suspension on it, and he goes looking, and the bags are torn on it. Right. But he says it still rides fine to him, and his question was, do I need to repair this? Do I need to... Oh, what, what do we need to do here? Yeah, convert it to a manual system or just leave it like it is. Uh-huh. And I thought we could talk a little bit about some of the ride controls and air suspensions sure. and all that are on cars and what's the proper answer to that question. For you personally. Yeah, you personally. Right. And I think air ride and air control suspensions have, I mean, they've been on there a long, long, long time, back in the well, 60s. Well, it was an add-on back in the 60s. Yeah, I remember the old El Caminos uh-huh. had air shocks on the rear because right. it was a car truck kind of a thing. And if you want to load it up, the rear would squat down. Well, you had a little valve you could go with an air chuck. Yeah, just like a tire valve. Pick them up. When you got done carrying whatever you're carrying, you bleed them back down. Uh-huh. And that was probably the most rudimentary system. Well, and that vehicle sat on coil springs. Mm-hmm. So, like I was saying earlier, this, this was just an add-on. But it was a manual add-on, so 
you have to do it manually. Very, very, very few problems with the system because it was so simple. If the air shocks went out and you looked at what you do with your vehicle, you say, well, I never really use that anymore. Uh-huh. Then you could easily just go back and put a couple of regular shocks on. Be done with it. And be done with it. Just right. drive, drive around like that. Or you could just leave it broke, for that matter, as long as it rode properly and didn't get into the hydraulics, wasn't bouncing all around or making noise or any of those things. Well, and those shocks you had to fix. Right. Well, even if you wanted to fix it, those yeah. shocks are reasonably reasonably priced. Yeah, probably easy four, to change. Forty, fifty bucks a piece, and yeah. easy to change. Half hour to change both of them. Right. So that was kind of the initial system that came on the cars. Mm-hmm. A few years later, particularly, I'm going to pick on Lincoln Fords. Right. That they are the only ones that use it. But they came out with an upgrade from that system, and it was an air spring. Correct. Like a bag, and that supported the weight of the car, and it had a further enhancement that had an onboard compressor, and it had a sensor that could sense the height of the car. Sure. So now, instead of when you loaded the car and it squatted down, you had to go find a compressor somewhere and blow it up, and then when you got through, you had to bleed it back down. What this would do is you throw four or five suitcases, put four people in the car. Well, obviously, it's going to go down because of the weight. This would automatically sense, hey, this car is sitting lower than it should be. And it would turn it back on, and it would would lift it back to ride height. Mm -hmm. A further enhancement with that was that because you were riding on an air spring, it was better than a call spring because a call spring has to be, I guess, engineered so that it can handle whatever situation the car is going to come across. Correct. That means it has to be slightly more powerful than an optimal ride might be. Because if you do throw four suitcases in, you want the car squatting down in the back. So they have to make it a little bit stronger than the optimal ride might have been in order to encounter the situations where you're going to load the car. Because sometimes one guy is in this car by himself. Mm -hmm. Other times, sometimes four, maybe five people. You may have three people in the back seat. Well, the height of the car is constantly going to change with a call spring. Sure. So they engineer it for a split to try to get a decent ride with one decent carrying capacity. But the limits are that this is a call spring. It's fixed. Right. It's changed. It's only going to do one thing. But with an air suspension and a sensor, what would happen is that when one guy was in the car by himself, it would set the springs to one particular tension. When you put two, three, four, five people in there, it would just continually increase the tension on the rear springs by putting more air in them. So not only could it support the weight, stay level, but it rode really well. Sure. And yeah. people who remember those old Lincoln Town cars or even the, the Crown, Crown Vicks right. and the Grand Marquis that had the air suspension. I know I had a lady one time who had one. She had driven them for years. She used to trade every three or four years. Right. Had always driven the Lincolns, and she decided to change over to a Cadillac for whatever reason. And she was totally disappointed with the ride. Mm-hmm. She's, and she brought it to me. She says, anything you can do to change the ride of this car? I said, well, no, ma'am. Everything's working as designed. It ride, but it doesn't ride like a Lincoln. So it's not going to ride like a Lincoln. Right. It's not the a Lincoln. Lincoln had an air suspension. This has a call spring suspension. And, of course, over the years, all that evolved even further. But with that system, again, you had one sensor. It judged the height of the car. It had a pump on it. It had a rudimentary computer module on it, which almost never gave it. Ne- hardly ever. I don't, I don't think, I think we've changed one. One of those in 40 years. Yeah. But it was a pretty good system. It was robust. About the biggest problem we saw with those is that the rear air springs were consumable. Sure. They were not going to last length of life. Right. It it was a rubber component. It was a rubber bag, and it was going to break down, and normally it was going to break down between 7 and 10 years. Sure. Now, 
And what would happen with those is when they broke, when they started leaking, they wouldn't just blow out. No. They would start leaking a little bit. Which a little would, crack in them. And it would increase the run time on the compressor. Well, and, the average driver, if he's not paying attention... Didn't notice it. All he notices is that maybe he hears that compressor running a little bit more than he did before, but no big deal. He uh-huh. doesn't think about it too much. That is a very, very dangerous time as far as your pocketbook goes. Right. Because if you bring the car in for, say, a general inspection, that's one of the things we were going to check. Mm-hmm. We would tell you, these rear air springs are very cracked up. I suggest replacing them right now. Now, if you replace them right now, the cost was not that great. You had to buy two bags. The labor was really cheap to change them. Right. But what, as a lot of people, would just keep driving the car, and all of a sudden, one morning, they come out in the car sitting on the ground in the back. And they get in it, crank it up, and it would level back out. It would level back out. And they'd keep driving. And they would still keep driving. Right. Now, the problem you got there is this little pump is designed for about a 5% duty cycle. Correct. It's only supposed to run a few seconds to and replenish then, the air that leaks out of the system and keep the car level. But if it has to go from zero all the way back up to full height, it's running a lot. Right. A lot more than its duty cycle. two things are going to occur at that point. Number one, you're going to wear this little pump out because it's far exceeding its duty cycle. But number two, you're ingesting a lot of moisture into the system. Mm-hmm. Because air has moisture in it. When you compress air, you get even more. Yeah. If anybody who's ever owned an air compressor and runs it a lot, like at a shop, you go out there and open that little bleeder screw in the bottom of that tank, and a half a gallon of water comes out. Oh, it, it, in South Louisiana, more yeah. like two gallons. Two gallons <laughs> of water. The thing is, this system had a little dryer on the intake, but it, again, it was sized for 5% duty cycle. Correct. It could take a small amount of moisture out. But you start running this thing 50, 60, 70% duty cycle, and you're pumping a bunch of water into your system, which is going to contaminate everything in there. The pump is going to burn up pretty darn soon. Sure. A lot of times when the pump burns up, it takes out the relay because it's overloading that. And by the time the car just pump, sits on the ground and won't move anymore, you tow it in, now you need rear air springs, a compressor, a relay, and possibly some wiring done. Sure. So what you did is you took a moderately expensive repair anyway because those bags were about $300 a piece. So you took maybe a $700 repair bill and you turned it into a $2,000 repair bill. Easily. And it's kind of like the first gentleman or second gentleman we're talking to. It's way easier to prevent problems than it is to go in and solve problems. Exactly. So that's why it was so, so important on that and even the modern systems to have them inspected from time to time. Make sure you're not getting a problem because the system is designed to kind of cover problems up. Sure. Sure. They want the driver to not notice anything. They don't want the ride quality to go away. Right. They want to keep the driver as happy as possible as long as a period of time, mm-hmm. and that compressor, it'll run its little heart out till it just burns itself up. It will, and it's not going to take too, too long, because like I say, you're by far exceeding the duty cycle of the pump, and then you get into the cost of the pump, and those can run anywhere from five to $700. Depending on application. And that pump could have last life of the car, sure. so long as it was run as it was designed to run. So again, if you have one of those cars, or had one of those cars, you got to remember, those rear springs are a consumable item. Correct. It's not a matter of if they'll fail. It's a matter of when they're going to fail. And, you know, some people with those cars don't even realize there is a switch in the back. You can turn that system off. Right. If you lift that car up off the ground by the chassis and let Mm -hmm. the suspension hang down, a lot of times the compressor and the sensor, the sensor will see that the car, it thinks it's sucked down. It's way, way too high because the the wheels are hanging down. Right. So it's going to bleed the system out. Right. So when you set it back down, you one of two things. You run the chance of pinching the bags because right. they are collapsed. 
when you set the chassis back down, the bags fold in amongst themselves, mm-hmm. and you can pinch a hole in one. Right. Or you still have to fill the whole system back up again. Well, that's the thing. You're going to overrun that compressor because now, instead of just maintaining a full system, which is full of dry air to start with because it was all put in there through that desiccant filter, now you're going to run this compressor for probably, what, two or three two, minutes yeah. continuously to try to pick this car all the way back up. It can do it if it's got oh, a healthy it, pump. Right. But it won't do it a whole lot of times. What you're looking for is any change, any subtle symptoms. For instance, if you come out in the morning and your car is sitting lower in the rear than it normally sits, well, when you crank it up and it comes back to normal height, that doesn't mean it's fixed. Right. That just means it filled it back up. That is but a sign of a problem, and that is a time to address it. Because, again, if you act proactively, if you catch it at that point, it's probably just a matter of replacing two rear bags. Mm-hmm. And I know nobody wants to dump out an extra six, $700 for bags and what have you. But again, that's part of the price of the technology you got. You got sure. a car that rides really, really well. It can adapt to a lot of situations. It's going to have a cost affixed. Whatever technology you put on a car, not only do you have to pay for the technology that you put on there, the engineering that went into it, but you have to pay a maintenance price. Correct. And that's true of every technology on every car. There's going to be a maintenance item somewhere down the line. That because, has to be taken care of. Well, that's right. So you got to realize, and like we were talking about before the show, one reason they like to put these features on cars is because the human mind is a comparator. When it looks at two different things, it's going to compare them and try to figure out which one's best, mm-hmm. and sometimes to its own detriment. Right. Because if I show you two vehicles, you say, well, this one does this and this and this. And this one does this, 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 and it's only two hundred dollars more. Well, the human mind says, "Well, that's a pretty good deal." Sure. It loses sight of the fact: Do I need any of these features anyway? Exactly. You know, they do that on computer software all the time. They'll say, "You know, this program does this and this and this. This program does that." And it's twenty dollars more. It's twenty dollars more. Well, most people are going to jump, pay the extra twenty bucks, whereas actually they're both the same exact program. They just got certain features turned off on one version of it, but. You have to ask yourself, do I really need any extra features? Exactly. That, that's the thing. Do you really need the, all this extra technology? I caught myself doing that where I would buy something more expensive because it did more stuff, mm-hmm. and I never, ever used any of that stuff. So basically, I threw 20 bucks away or $40 away or whatever it was. Whatever in case it was. of a car, it might be a couple thousand dollars. But yeah, you got to question, do you need this and make a decision based on that? Because once you got it, it's not only what you paid for to get it. It's, it's what you got to pay for it to keep it going. That's right. It's it's what it's going to take down the road to maintain it. You know, when that, when those lights start popping on, then you got to do something about it. Yep. Hey, take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the automotive hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! 
little of which might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. That'll put you straight in touch with us. And that it will. We were talking about air suspension systems, right. but as every show, we'll entertain any question, automotive questions That's you right. have. You so. never limit it to whatever topic we may be discussing. A lot of times I've heard people say, well, I had a question about a transmission, but y'all were talking about such such. Well, uh-huh. That doesn't matter. I mean, we'll still, sure, we'll anything that happens to be bugging, you give us a call. We, can, we just have to have something to yak about between, <laughs> between callers. calls. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> We were talking about the Lincoln air suspension yeah. and forward air suspension. And one final thing I want to talk about with that is a lot of aftermarket companies that have come out with like a spring you can buy and For a shock absorber and you just unplug, disconnect, cut all right. the stuff that's on the car, put this stuff on there. And I mean, if you're just hell bent to do it, God bless you, do whatever you got to do. Uh-huh. But my take on it is that you spent a lot of money to have this engineered into this car because you like the way it rode. You sure. like the way it operated. It's a very, very good system. It's a robust system with some maintenance issues attached to it. Mm-hmm. But when you go in and you throw this aftermarket override kit on there uh, with springs and all, like, number one, the car's not going to ride the same. It's not going to be able to handle the, the changes height in change. height. So now you may start picking up some tire wear because your suspension height is changing. Right. More to the point, from my perspective, half the lights on your dash are going to pop on when you do this because the computer knows that system's on. At very least, check suspension lights going to come on mm-hmm. because it can no longer control the height of the car, and it's going to know that. So right. you have to live with this light on on your dash. Later model cars, several old lights may pop on. And, you know, being whatever you take out of it, it may even confuse the computer system, right? The rest of the computer system. So you may end up just causing more trouble than the the system's worth just to go ahead and repair it as the, the way it was designed. Right, and you're going to probably spend about half as much doing to, this to basically screw the car up than you would have just to go ahead and fix it correctly. Mm-hmm. But I understand money is money. If you don't have the money to fix it right, that is an option that some people use. I don't like it because, like I say, it causes other collateral issues sure. sooner if not later. You being an alignment man the majority of your life, you very well realize if I change the rear height of this car by a half inch to an inch, I'm going to completely change the front suspension readings. Mm, exactly. And on an independent rear suspension car, that the, rear. Has, the rear is going to change dramatically. That's right. Because any height change on the rear changes the camber and the toe, which throws a lot of tire wear down. If you can keep it at the same height, which is what the air suspension system does, mm-hmm. Then you don't change the readings in the alignment anymore. Well, if you remember back, I guess in the early 2000s, there was a rash of small Asian cars and, and some domestic cars that I don't know if the springs just weren't very good or if they were undersized for the car, but after four, five, six, seven, they would start, 10 years, they, they would start, start to sag. And you could look at the car, you could see it was down slightly in the back, but it wasn't all that noticeable. But what you would notice, you'd start just slaughtering the inside of the rear tires. Right. And first thing they do, they bring it in for a four-wheel alignment, thinking that might would solve it. But you look in the back, and there's no adjustment for that. Well, or there's no adjustment left. Yeah, or not enough. Right. Uh, the, the rear cambers are really low. You'll see the rear tires leaning in at the top. Mm-hmm. You could take and just 
push the back of the car up about an inch, and, and everything would stand right back come up. right back in the spec. Right. So at that point, you'd have to tell them, well, you have to replace the rear springs. Well, no, I got a tire wear issue. Well, but that's what's controlling it. Mm-hmm. That height of the car is extremely critical to wheel alignment. Sure. And that's one reason why they invented the air suspension system in the first place was to help control that rear height to keep the front end in alignment, keep the rear in alignment. Because, again, in our first example, let's say you normally drive one person in the car, and you have the car aligned and everything's great, you drive along, but then you decide to take an extended vacation with two of your friends. Well, now you've got four people in the car and a bunch of luggage in the trunk. Exactly. It squats down the rear, you take off in your car, happy, home on vacation, you drive to California and back, and you might you notice you've got two worn-out tires on it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because the height of the car has changed. And you know the bad thing about that example is when they bring it to the alignment shop, mm-hmm. none of that stuff is in the vehicle anymore. Well, that's right. They unload the car, bring it to you, and say, man, this hey, tires, yeah, eight up two tires. Front tires. And all the thing you can do, you look at it and you say, well, everything's in spec. I can't tell you why it ate the tires. Well, so something's got to be wrong. It ate up two tires in 5,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but again, if you think to tell me, well, what happened is I never had a tower issue. We Until. went on vacation. And it ate up two tires, and the car was heavily loaded. Or you got to give the tech more information. Exactly. And if he's really good and a sharp guy, he's probably going to try to drag that out of you. Did anything change? Did y'all do anything different? Well, first thing you do is check the numbers on it. If the numbers don't, if the numbers look right, don't indicate what tire. And don't on. indicate what the tire says. Then you go to the customer and say, Hey, what have you been doing with this? What happened here? And that's another reason why it's probably a good idea to buy your tires and your alignment at, at the, the same, same place. place. Correct. Bring the car in with the old tires on it because you can gain a lot of insight by looking at tires sometimes. Exactly. That tells you what's wearing, how it's wearing, and so on. And a good alignment tech can look at that tire. Right. And he can just about tell you, hey, that's toe wear, or this is camber and toe wear. Right. Or, you know, you got a bad tie rod here, which causes the, te- the tire, the toe to toe right. out. And the, the wear that we see is, is consistent with what we're finding. Correct. So now we have a much higher probability this is going to fix the problem. Now, the second thing is, he's seen it like that. He's going to need to put new tires on it to align it properly, because you can't align it with the worn-out tires. Mm-hmm. you basically wasting your money. Wheel alignment is a custom thing. There is a specification, but there's ranges within that that we have to adjust to make the car drive straight on the majority of roads and not wear tires. So, again, if you bring the car in with the worn tires, he can inspect it and tell exactly what's going on. He can make a suggestion on the best tire for the application. He can align it with the new tires. Much, much, much better job than trying to go one place and get tires, go somewhere else and, and get alignment and mm-hmm. so on. The final thing there is, if you still have a problem, you only have one person to look at. Exactly. Because if you go one place, let's say you mail order a set of tires. You go one place, get them put on, go somewhere else and get it aligned. Now you've got a shimmy in the front end or maybe you got some tire wear. Well, who do you go back to? Because you go to the line man, he says, wait a minute, it's this tire's bad. Mm-hmm. So you go, to, well, no, that's, that's, that's a line problem. problem. Oh, that's right. a balance problem. So if you, if you get all your service work done in the same place, you've got one guy to deal with. That's hey, right. this car's wearing tires or I've got a shimmy now. You've got one place to go back to. And ultimately, it's going to be cheaper. The dollar sure. or two you save hunting here, hunting there. Is nothing compared to, to the, the money you go spend trying to solve these problems, or the time you're going to lose running all over town. Well, how many times have we had people come in, and again they mail order a set of tires somewhere, they get them in, they went somewhere, got them balanced and mounted, and what have you. Now they got a shake in the car. They've been back two or three times, still got a shake. Bring them to you. They got to pay you to tell them what's wrong with it, right. which is probably more than they saved on tires right there. 
You tell them you got three out-around tires. Okay, well, the tire company's saying, well, they were good when they left here. It must be the guy that mounted them, screwed them up. The guy, no, no, they were, they were that way when we got them. Uh-huh. Now, what do you do? The old tires are gone. They've been disposed of. Sure. Now, you got three tires you got to get. So do you take them off the car, send them back in to the tire guy? If the tire guy will accept them back. Wait around for a week to get some more tires. Go somewhere, get those put on, put them back on the car before you can drive again. I mean, it's just... Can you save some money by going, probably save a dollar or two, but sure. what is the overall cost to you? Exactly. It's going to cost you a whole, cost lot, a whole more lot more down the road. Just way cheaper just to get it all done at one place, and that way you're pretty much got one guy to look at. Exactly. Now, from the two-wheel suspension systems that we the talked air about, suspension systems, the yeah. next evolution was a four-wheel system. Right, which came out on the Continental. Continentals. Yeah. Uh, not the town car, but the Continental had that. That was a, that was a more elaborate system. Far, far more elaborate. Yeah. It had air springs at all wheels, all four wheels. It did. And it could do a lot more stuff. And being that car was sprung with struts on the front, mm-hmm. they took the spring off of the strut and designed a air spring to fit its place on that strut. So it was a lot more complicated system. It was. It also got a lot more inputs. It did. From the driver and from the car and could control more things. For instance, it had a steering angle system so it knew when you were turning. It had seat sensors, so it knew how many people were in the car. It had height sensors. Height that, sensors at all four wheels. Right. I think it was a brake sensor that if you applied the brakes heavily, it could bring that into the calculations. Much more sophisticated computer system, bigger pump on it, more bigger read, more expensive, mm-hmm. and four bags. So, again, these bags are susceptible to the same exact forces they as are. the two-bag system was, which means at seven to ten years, you were changing all four instead of just two. And these were a lot more difficult to change. The front ones were. Well, even the, the rear, the rear they had an independent rear suspension with a strut in the rear on most of them, I think. On the Continental. I'm, I'm trying to remember I the Continental. I think it was a four-wheel yeah. independent. I believe yeah. it was. So you had to take the strut out of the car, take it completely apart, change the bag, seal the bag, make sure everything was right on there, had, put it all back together, and then go on from there. But four sensors instead of one. Mm-hmm. So just when you get more stuff, Again, it costs more money. Sure. And then maintenance on all that additional stuff costs more money. But the car rode like a dream. It rode very well until something, something went happened. wrong. Yeah. And then it was on that one, you probably were not going to have an option as to whether or not to fix this car. Right. When it sat down, it sat down. The whole car sat down on the ground. It wasn't just the rear end sitting low. And and it, especially if, if one of the bags blew out mm-hmm. from, from leakage or tearing and uh, the pump overran. Then it couldn't fill the rest of them, and right. like you're saying, the whole car would sit the down. The whole car was sitting on the ground. You probably were not going to drive this car. Well, you couldn't hardly drive it around the parking lot when it was sitting on the bump stops. Right. I and mean, this was a very expensive system Yes. to go in and rebuild. I mean, if you had to put four airbags and a, and a pump. pump, you were probably up in the three to $4,000 range, right. as opposed to maybe the $1,200, $1,400, maybe 1500 on the other side to system. change everything on it. So, again, more stuff. It does more things, but at a much, much higher, higher price. price. Now, to me, it probably was not worth the additional price for the additional ride because mm-hmm. it did ride slightly better. It could adapt to more situations. I don't feel the average driver was going to get his money's worth there. Yeah, no benefit out of it. Yeah, some do, but a lot don't. Now, they also use a similar system, I think, on some of the expeditions. Yeah. When they four-wheel uh, navigator. Navigators? Yeah. It had the same type of system that was on the Continental. Mm-hmm. It had the coil over, the, I say coil over, the, the strut with the airbag on the top instead right. of a coil spring. 
And those were a lot more involved to replace. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more labor there because of the design of the, the suspension it was that was on it. That's right. Okay, we can take our third quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Die back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hevoted Supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, some days... I just want a garden. Fair voltage. I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. Say, check your vehicle. Perform needed maintenance. Ooh, they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvland, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, Pooh Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. All our lines are open. Be glad to try to help you out. We still have a few minutes left. Got several minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about air suspensions uh-huh. and adjustable suspensions and all. We were talking about the... The Navigator. Different ones right. out there. Now, there's another whole set of systems out there, and these are primarily on some of the Asian cars and some of the European cars. And that's the mechanical hydraulic type uh-huh. variable system. And we can't get too, too deep in it because they vary so much one to another that there's very few things you can say without talking specifically about right. a certain car. I think the biggest thing there is if you've got a choice to buy a car with that system on it or without that system, I would probably opt to try to buy one without. Just think about, you know, what, what's this system going to cost to repair when it breaks? Because those are ludicrously expensive. They are. I know Volvo. They're very complicated. Volvo came out with that. was one of the first ones I remember. And they called it a Nevomat system. And on the rear, they have two what look like shock absorbers. Uh-huh. But they're not shock absorbers at all. They're actually hydraulic rams. They raise and lower the car mm-hmm. and support or, the weight. Or, they don't actually support the weight, but they can put the height wherever they want it. Upstream from there, there's a series of solenoids and valves, and then there's a ball, almost like a hydraulic accumulator. Like a reservoir. Yeah, it's a round, well, I guess most of them are round, maybe not all of them, but it's a ball, and you'll see hydraulic lines going into it. It's got like a diaphragm in it with like high-pressure nitrogen gas on one side. And hydraulic fluid on the other. It pumps hydraulic fluid on the other side. That is the actual shock absorber. That's where the valving is. It controls the fluid flowing in and out of this. And that's what does the shock absorbing function of the car. Correct. And unfortunately, what happens when they go out, a lot of times the car may start wildly bouncing around. People look in the back, and they're thinking like they've always thought, here's a few shocks. So they take them off, go down to the place wherever they get their parts, Uh and they find that those are extremely expensive. They say, well, I can't drive the car like it is. So they buy two of those, put them on the car, and it still does exactly the same thing. That's because that was only a ram. The only way that normally fails 
is obvious if it gets bent or damaged, but my, primarily if it starts to leak. Right. The seals go bad. In leaks, it. you're going to lose the hydraulic fluid and the system's going to go down. But as long as they're not leaking, that is not what controls either the height of the car or, or the, ride. the ride of the car. Right. All that's controlled through other components. Now, it's got sensors on the car to tell it what the height is, but when it starts to sit too low, the ram is just sitting there. It doesn't know. It's just a dumb part. Mm-hmm. And it Sensor tells the computer, hey, we're too low. Hydraulic pump comes on, pumps hydraulic fluid to the back. The valve in the accumulator opens. The fluid runs in the ram, and it goes up to whatever height it wants to set it at. So it can infinitely adjust that height wherever it wants it to be. Now, the thing is, when you hit a bump, what happens is this fluid in the ram, since it's not valve, just squirts in and squirts out as the car moves up and down. It squirts through the valves in the accumulator, and that's what's controlling your ride. And, you know, it resists the flow of fluid, which resists the jouncing of the car, just like a regular shock absorber well, would. The hydraulic fluid is working against the gas, right. the compressed gas, and that's what gives you the, the And also a valve. It the... can restrict the valve, just like the uh, shock absorber has valves in mm-hmm. it. It can not allow the fluid to just flow Wide n- really nearly in there. It just restricts it through an orifice. So it can set that wherever it wants it. And it's generally on all... Well, not always. Sometimes it's only on the rear. Sometimes it is on all four wheels. Sometimes, just depending on the system you got. And when this system starts to go down, number one, it's going to be very expensive just to diagnose the problem. Not anything you can be able to do yourself. No. You're going to have to have a factory-type scan tool to go in and see what component or components have failed. It's going to be extremely, obscenely expensive to repair. If you can still get the parts on some of if the older stuff. you can even get the parts anymore. I remember the uh, the Forerunner. The mm-hmm. Toyota 4Runner had Play, that. They played with that for a while. They did, and some models had it, and some models didn't. It was just an option that was bought on that vehicle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we checked one the other day. It was a used car inspection. It had this system on it, mm-hmm. and the customer wasn't aware of it. So, you know, I think he opted not to get that vehicle. Well, for the, if I had the choice of buying one with it or one without it, and I'm in the buying mode right now. Right. And when I'm buying, I'm driving. So I'm going to buy one without this potential problem, even if it's working perfectly right now. Because exactly. a year from now, if it goes down, I'm saddled with a huge, huge expense for something I'm really not going to see much benefit out of. Exactly. Mercedes used that system extensively on a lot of their cars. I'm trying to think of any American cars that ever use it. None come to mind. No. I, I don't want to be a liar because, I mean, there may I, be one or two that did over the years. But just a system that I would avoid if at all if possible. possible. And... From there, you get into some of the systems that were electrically adjustable by different means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cadillac had a system like that. They called it the MagTech or something like that. Some MagnaRide or yeah. something. Yeah, and they control the, the voltage in the fluid, make the fluid thicker and thinner for whatever ride they wanted the fluid at the time. in the shock absorber was what they called an elastomeric fluid. Right. It was a special silicon-based fluid with some metallic particles in it. By running a current charge through it, they could thicken the fluid or lessen the viscosity of the fluid, right. which would control the ride. Again, very, very, very expensive system to maintain. Yep. Most people really didn't notice much difference in it. But Cadillac, they had so much trouble with it, came out with an override kit you could buy. Mm-hmm. And what you could do is you could put conventional shocks back on the car install the override system, and all your lights and all wouldn't come on on your dash. Right. That system, they only introduced it on one model, I think, for a, a year or two. I think it was on the Sedan DeVille. I think it was. Maybe the Fleetwoods. Yeah. But, uh, but for they, a they few quit years. Making, they quit making the part. Yeah. To replace it. 
because the shocks always went bad on them. And like you said, they come out with this kit mm-hmm. to put regular shocks back on them. Now, Mazda had a variation of that system, but they did a little differently. On someone like their RX-7s, I think it was, there was a little stepper motor on top of the shock absorber. Okay. And there's a long shaft inside the shock. Uh-huh. And it would rotate that would shaft, turn. which would turn to different sets of valves. Sure. So if you want a sport ride, you click it on sport suspension, and that little motor would, it would yeah. turn that valve. Change the, if you wanted a softer ride, you could do that. And it would change the dampening rate of the, the, the shock. Right. Kind of a cool system, just kind of expensive to maintain, right. again, like everything else. But I think GM used that for a little while, too, on some of their trucks. I don't recall. I think uh, they did. But that's kind of, the, I guess, the overview uh-huh. of what it is. And I'm sure there's some systems that we did not talk about. Oh, I'm sure. Some that we missed. You know how that goes. They, yeah. They come up. I mean, engineers sit there all day long well, and dream up stuff. I mean, that, that's, their, that's their job, you know. Right. And what they do is they put it out there on the market, and depending on what the market reaction is, if this car sells way better than everything else, well, then you're going to start seeing on more and more stuff. Exactly. If they put it out there and it just totally flops then it's probably going to go away. And, you know, I, I would like to see a lot more research and, and development before it gets introduced to the public for research yeah. and development. Yeah, because the people who get stuck with that system yeah. are literally stuck with that they system. They are. <laughs> they are. So, yeah, it can be pretty annoying if, if you're one of the unlucky people who ended up with it. Yep. I see we're just about out of time. Start winding on up, getting ready to get on out here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. That's right. The written Please. reviews will move us up in the rankings. Also make us feel real good about what we're doing. And if everybody listening today was to tell one other person, we could double our audience. That we could. <laughs> <laughs> Overnight, more or less. It's one of those things. I know it's kind of a pain to have to fill these little forms uh-huh. out and all that, but it really does a lot of good for us. So it we, does. We appreciate when you do that. And we don't charge anything for the show, so just think of it as that's what you, that's a subscription fee for listening to the automotive. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have sponsors, so we can exactly. be unbiased, and that's the cost of doing it, I guess. Yep. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.